Hey Thrivers, you're listening to the Thrive Student Ministry Podcast. Thrive is an MBSF college ministry on the campus of the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville. At Thrive, we empower students to engage in their relationship with God through mentorship, friendship, and the discovery of their purpose. For more information on our gathering times, including our events, small groups, and weekly worship, visit us at thriveuark.com or follow us on our social medias at thriveuark. This week, Dom continues in our second week of our book study of Galatians. Our scripture tonight comes from Galatians 1, verses 6 through 10, and Exodus 32. We hope you enjoy the message. This spring, we're walking through the book of Galatians. And so last week, we really kicked it off, and we talked a lot about Paul, who wrote the book of Galatians. Uh, it's one of the letters that he wrote um, to the churches that he went on his missionary journeys to. This is the first missionary journey. Uh, and like we kind of talked about last week, it's one of the only ones where it's written not just to a singular church or a singular city, it's written to multiple churches in multiple cities um, through the region of Galatia. But the thing that's different about the book of Galatians is Paul is a lot more blunt. He's a lot more frustrated with the Galatians. And it's, it all has to come, come to and circles around this idea of the Jewish Christians and the Christians in the region of Galatia slipping back into this idea that they either had to become Jews or follow the Mosaic law um, to be a true follower of Christ. And it comes back to adding things to the grace of the gospel. And we see that Paul gets really, really frustrated about this. And so last week we really dove into that side of things, the different, the different perspective and kind of the emotions that Paul was feeling because of his personal stake in the message of the gospel, of him receiving that grace from Christ, right? And being sent out as an apostle, as a disciple maker, uh, and him boldly and courageously going and preaching to these cities, even in the midst of all these persecutions he was dealing with, the same persecution that he was dealing out to different Christians at that time. We see him shipwrecked and a number of other things, and we see that he's content with the grace that he had been given and gifted through Christ. Right? And so tonight we're going to continue on and dive a little bit deeper into Paul's frustration and, and why he's feeling frustration over all these things. But we're not going to talk specifically about Paul as much, but tonight we really are going to talk about uh, Paul and why he's fighting so hard for this one true gospel, right? And he's, he's trying to validate and, 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 and uh, prove to the churches of Galatia about this one true gospel and the danger of a, a gospel that is counterfeit, right? And so my first question for you tonight is, do you believe in the one true gospel, Right? And for a lot of you guys who have grown up in church or you've been around it, you've been, been at this, these different things, I know what the tendency is. The tendency is to say, yeah, I know that. Right? But I would argue that your willingness to admit that you know that and fully understand the grace of Christ shows the, the reality that you don't. Right? Because I think Paul through this and even these songs that we're singing of getting pushed deeper and deeper into the love of Christ, right? We don't fully understand that. We'll never fully understand the heights and the lengths and the riches of the grace that Christ has offered us, right? And so Paul is really, really trying to get them to understand that the grace, again, of the gospel is sufficient. And furthermore, the, the question that I, I really need to ask you guys and that we're going to dive into a lot tonight is can you authenticate 
authenticate your ownership of your own faith, right? I know for me, that was something that was really important when I first came up here to Fayetteville. I just had grown up in Catholic church. I'd gone to mass with my parents just simply because that's what they did, right? And for a lot of you who did grow up in church, that's exactly what you guys did too, right? You grew up, you, you, maybe you got saved at church camp, or maybe you went and um, you just went to Sunday school and Wednesday night just because that's what you and your family always did, right? But this idea that when you come to college and when you come away, when you grow up, you have to make your own decisions, right? You are then the person who has to own your faith entirely. And that's not just owning your faith as far as saying, yeah, I'm a believer in Christ, right? But this idea following what we, where we tracked last week is um, in Romans 1, 5, when it says grace and apostleship, we receive grace and apostleship. And so it's not just the, I believe in Christ. What are you doing in, in light of your faith? What are you doing to supplement your faith? That's something that we always talk about uh, in the spring with uh, different guys and different groups of people. But we're going to continue on. And so if you want to join me in Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. Paul says this. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it's not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that, uh, that we said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And so right from the bat, we see that Paul's kind of following and continuing to track with this frustration. He doesn't just let that go from his intro and from his greeting. He dives deeper into it. And the danger and the things that Paul are, is really frustrated is, one, that they're distorting and perverting the, the message of grace and peace that Paul had originally preached to them about the gospel. But two, it's, it's this idea of finding a counterfeit gospel, right? He says that there's only one gospel, one truth, one, one grace, one peace, right? And the thing that he is fighting against is a counterfeit. And if you know anything about counterfeit or trading or things like that, it's something that I used to be really into. Uh, and to a certain extent, I still am. I would buy a lot of stuff and a lot of things that I really liked. And then I would go and eventually flip them for more money than I bought it for. And so I know there are a lot of shows and a lot of things about that typical, typical kind of thing. But the thing that's always true is if you're, whether it's like sports jerseys or memorabilia or shirts or shoes, all of that is predicated on the authenticity of the item you're selling, right? And so if, you're, if you have like a really nice pair of shoes, they're in pristine condition, they're still in the box, they're, pro they're probably gonna be worth a lot more than when you, when you bought them originally, if they you know, appreciate eventually. But a lot, of, a lot of these industries, a lot of these people who get into the reselling market, what they'll do is they'll make knockoffs, right? Or they'll make these different kinds of, of things. And sometimes you'll see jerseys and instead of having the, the Nike logo right here, it'll be this really poorly stitched, really kind of fake logo here. And that 
when someone when something's value is found to be counterfeit when something's found to be fake or distorted in some way a perversion from what the original is its value plummets and so these people who were coming in and distorting the gospel were coming in and using the exact same language right and this is what we see in, in, in counterfeit versus authentic um, you know, trading and stuff like that is it replicates the real thing very, very well, right? And so these people were using the same verbiage that, that Paul was using, the same kind of language, the same kind of message, but they were adding to it. And this adding to it, well, you think, oh, addition makes something better, makes something greater, right? But it was actually taking away from the cross, and this is why Paul was so angry, because when you add anything to the cross, what you're saying is that it's not sufficient enough for you, right? And I think that we have that problem a lot in Scripture, but this is, is the heart of Paul's, Paul's frustration. And so he starts in verse 6 and says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from, from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. And we're going to hang out there in that first part of that verse, and then we'll move on and link the rest of it in with verse 7 and verse 8. But this idea where he says that you are turning away so soon from God, right? Other translations would read that you're deserting the grace of Christ. And it was something that I really struggled with, and I, I studied it a lot this week, this idea of the turning. Because we, when we think about the idea of turning and repentance, it's the same kind of thought. We're, we, we think we accept Christ, and that's what saves us, but eventually a heart that is saved repents from their sin, and that's a full turn in the other direction, right? And it's the same Greek word, the idea of, of so soon, so easily turned from the gospel that Paul had preached to them, and just to put it in perspective, and I really didn't know this, but Paul visited the churches in Galatia on his first missionary journey. That happened around 46, 47 AD. And so from what we know, because he, the Jerusalem Council dealt with these same issues, we talked about this a little last week, but the Jerusalem Council happened in 49 AD. And this, this letter was written to them before that, because had it been written after that, he would, probably would have referenced the Jerusalem Council because it dealt with circumcision, a lot of the different Mosaic laws that they were saying these have to be followed in order to be a true follower of Christ. And so we know that because that letter was written before that, it had to be before 49 AD, which places the, the composition of this letter between 47 and 48 AD. And so what we know from that is that these people who had learned about the grace of Christ, these people who accepted the gospel that Paul was preaching, turned from it so soon. So when he says so soon, that means less than two years, right? That means almost, you know, less than a year, two years later. And it, that to me, I think that's why he says I'm shocked by this, right? Because, and I, we talked about this a little bit uh, last week, but this idea of, do you remember how you felt when you accepted Christ, right? It wasn't necessarily, it shouldn't have been a fleeting feeling of Oh, like this is like this is like Christmas, where like I really all year this is what I wanted, and finally I got it, right? And then the next year, it's not the same thing. It's something else. It's something fleeting. That's not how accepting Christ works. Accepting Christ should change everything, right? And when you accept Christ into your heart, it's something that continually changes, and you you make that complete 180 where you now you walk in new life because of Jesus, right? You're pursuing a new life because of Jesus, but. These people who had, who had accepted that, that, that truth had turned back, right, into this idea. And it happens so, so soon. 
And so my question for you is, do you take the gift of grace that Christ has offered you for granted? Do you treat it like a Christmas gift? Is it one of those things that you're like, oh yeah, I just accepted Christ then, and now I just believe in Jesus? Or is it something that completely has changed you and completely continues to renew and change you the way you live, the way you walk, the way you follow Christ? Is it something that continues, continues to push you further and further into the source of that grace and that love that Jesus offers you? Because it should be, right? But the thing is, we've seen this throughout human history. Over and over again, it's stuff that we've seen, and it is something that definitely put, put my heart to um, towards another passage in Exodus, in Exodus 32. And you don't necessarily have to turn there, but it's when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, he spends 40 days up there with, with God, right? And this is after the exodus um, from, from Egypt, um, and Aaron's left with the Israelites down in, <clears throat> at Mount Sinai. And again, just to put you, put, give some perspective, the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt happened and occurred around 1446 BC. And that's the historians who have studied that and placed that and tried to make a timeline of when this happened, that would have been around April, all right? And June is, where, is in the midst of when Moses is up there and he receives the 10 commandments from God. And then by July, the Israelites down there turn from the truth of God and they make a false idol, right? And it says, it says this, um, this is how um, the Israelites respond when they become impatient. They say that, you know, Moses is taking too long. It says, come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And right, once again, that's less time than it took for the Galatians to turn from the truth of God. And it's something that occurs over and over in human history because out of sin, man who, who was created in the image of God creates gods in their own image. Instead of a man who created in the image of likeness God, man has created a God in the image and likeness of that which is right in their own eyes. And we do that all the time. And what that's called is idolatry, right? And it was something that I really struggled with a lot in this study because Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians and even Jesus at certain points when he's talking about conflict, he says um, when, when people have rejected the truth of God um, and have rejected and, and, and worshiped false idols, you're not to eat with them, right? And I, I struggled with that a lot as I studied over this this week because I was wondering, well, so why is Paul going back after these people now? He's going back after the Galatians in an effort to save them before it's too late. And that's the difference you see between that, in that piece in Exodus and that piece um, here. Uh, you see what, the way that Moses and Paul respond to finding out about this idolatry. Moses comes down the mountain and, and throws those tablets on the ground, and Paul immediately get, picks up the pen and, and begins to com uh, compose this letter to write to the Galatians. And so <clears throat> I think the reason that <clears throat> Paul was so frustrated over this and the reason almost even, I don't, I don't necessarily want to dive into the big what ifs and why he decided to go, go back after them instead of just dusting off his feet and, and going to the next city. But I will say that I think that Paul knew the result of rejecting the truth of God in that way for a lie. 
And we find that in, in Romans 1, where it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth of God, about God, because he has made it obvious to them, right? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God has God made, and they can clearly see his indivisible invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. It continues on and later in verse 24, it says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies, right? And we've talked about this before, uh, some of you that, that have been around, this idea that you can push God to the point where he just says, fine, have it your way. Right? And some of you, you've heard that before. But it's true, and I think that that is the truth that Paul knew was in store for people who have heard the truth of the real gospel and replace it and add to it and, and distort the truth of the one true gospel. And so what is that true gospel? And, and, and we won't spend too much time here, but this idea that the, the idea of a gospel means good news. Right? It means good tidings. It comes from, from the Greek word that, that mean those two things. And it's, it's why it's so imperative for us to be constantly, constantly renewed by that good news. We need to, to posture ourselves in a way when we are following Jesus that we're constantly reminded of the good grace, the good news of Jesus dying for our sins. And that's the question that I have for you guys in that regard is, do you believe that the gift of grace is actually good news, right? Because this perversion from the gospel that the Galatians are doing, these people who are coming in to distort the gospel, when you add to the gospel, when you add to the cross, when you say that the cross isn't enough, what you're actually saying is that's not actually good news, right? And we've all, all had that, you know, the, the idea of, you know, we've got good news and bad news, right? But the news that we are saved from our sin should be the life-changing news, right? And so when it comes to the gospel, um, I think that's our problem, is that instead of being in constant awe of the gospel, in constant renewal um, of what the gospel means for our lives, we constantly elevate and prior, uh, prioritize things higher than the gospel, higher than God. And so the thing I wanna ask you is, what are the things you've idolized over God, you know? Is it your schoolwork? Is it your work? You know, is it the, the ultimate goal where you wanna be once you leave here in Fayetteville, right? I know for, for, for me personally, and I think if you ask Allison, Allison, she would probably say the same thing. There's a point in our relationship, it would have been my junior year, her sophomore year, where that truth really affected our relationship. It's something that we almost broke up for, because what we had done is instead of, instead of following God, instead of being renewed by his word, instead of spending time in prayer, reflecting on what God was doing in our lives to those points, what we were doing is we were putting our relationship and the time that we were spending together and the things that we were doing, all those fun things that last for but an hour or two, maybe a day, and we were putting those things above following Christ. And what happens when, when, when we do that is we're, we're rejecting the truth of God for a lie. We're saying the cross was not life-changing enough for us to be continually renewed by it. 
right? And so this is what Paul is so angry, angry about in regards to it. And we'll read the rest of this, this verse in verse 6 and verse 7 where it says, um, You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ, right? And this is, this is the very idea of, of them rejecting the good news and saying that's really not good news, right? We have better things we could spend our time on. We have all these other things that we'd rather do, right? I'd rather go home on the weekend and hang out with my high school friends, or I'd rather, you know, go drinking or go party or this other stuff. And the thing that happens when we start to give way so those things is that they start, begin to compound. And we see that with the two responses, the responses that Aaron has specifically when Moses comes down and asks him about what's going on there at Mount Sinai. And, he's, and it says this in Exodus 32. It says, finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? And Aaron responded, don't get so upset, my Lord, um, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. When they brought it to me, I simply threw it in the fire and came out and came out, out came this calf. And I just think that's so ironic because it even makes me think about Genesis 3 in the fall where Adam wants to blame shift and said, but it was the woman who gave it to me, right? When we reject the truth of God that we know about, there's this shame that comes over us, right? And there's a reason why. It's because we've rejected that in, in the, rejected the good news of the gospel, the one gospel for the news and the things that we, we lust after and the things that we want more than following God, right? And we see that because Aaron, we, the Galatians, I'm sure, were making all these excuses for why the good news wasn't good enough for them. And the question that I want to bring back up to you guys is what do you stand for? Again, what do you stand for? Because these people who were deliberately twisting the truth of God, remember, these people were coming in after Paul using the same language that Paul was using and trying to distort the true message of God. So what do you stand for? Can you identify a counterfeit gospel? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the gospel well enough to be able to identify the truth of the gospel from a counterfeit one, from a distorted, perverted version of that gospel? And let me just say this too, that by standing up for the truth of the gospel, that's not always a fun thing. You know, this is, and Jesus said it himself, like, they will hate you because of me, right? So are you prepared to be hated? Are you prepared to be hated for your faith, to stand up for the authenticity of your faith? Or are you willing to exchange it for, for a lie? You know, I think there's so many times, and I struggled with this when I was, when, um, I was early in, in college, and I was like, well, like, I believe in Jesus, but it's okay if, my, uh, if like, I go and sleep around with my current girlfriend. That was not Allison. <laughs> uh, I believe in Jesus, but it's okay for me to go and get drunk on the weekends and go party and stuff like that. And, and that's just not true, right? When we add to the gospel, we're taking away from 
the truth of the gospel. And so that's the truth that Paul is trying to get after with these Galatians who refuse to stand for the truth that they have heard and that Paul preached to them. And there's the old adage that if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. And I think that's true more than ever in our society. And I'm not going to dive too far into the politics, but I think if you looked at both sides of anything, there are a lot of things that, that come out in, 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 in opposition of one thing and in favor of another. Right? And if you're not careful and you're not willing to stand for what you believe in, to continually um, deepen that understanding and deepening that foundation that you have, you're going to constantly get thrown to and fro. And, right? and that's why I ask you, do you own your faith? Because what happens, and I've seen it, especially with a lot of my friends who, who grew up Catholic along with me, that they came to college and as soon as they got to college, they didn't have to do what mommy and daddy told them anymore. They could go and do whatever they wanted. And so they were conditioned by, by different people, by peers, by, by things in the media, by their classes, and they refused to stand for, for anything. And so the goals that they had, the life that they thought they were going to go after is not what happened. Right? We, we see that they are a lot closer to this idea in Romans 124 where God abandons them to whatever shameful things is in their hearts. And so as we move on in verse 8 and 9, and it says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of gospel, uh, a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we, what we said before, if any, anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. And there are a few things that I wanted to kind of preface here and, and, and things I wanted to dive into, but one of which is this idea of let that person be cursed. And Paul thinks this is so important that he reiterates it multiple times, right? Um, and it's something that if you were to look into the Greek word, if you were to look into these other things, the word actually there is anathema, right? And <clears throat> for the sake of language, I'm not going to say it, but it's, it, it is the idea of being cursed. Um, and so in the Catholic Church, there's this idea of um, at the Council of Trent, it was a response to the Protestant Reformation, right? And, and they, they held this council um, to kind of lock and key and put in the stone a lot of their foundational and theological teachings. And these are just two of them. Um, and they're really kind of astounding when I read, read them and then when I think about the idea of, of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the idea of being a Christian and how Catholics would consider themselves Christians, but our doctrine isn't exactly the same, right? And in Canon 1 of that, it says, If any saith that a man may be justi justified before God by his own works, what, whether done through the teaching of human nature uh, or that of the law, without grace of God through Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, let him be cursed. And later on, it says, If, if one saith that by faith alone, he is justified in such, such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to, to, to the obtaining the grace of justification. That is not in any way necessary, 
that he be prepared to be disposed the movement of his own as well. Let that be anathema. And so these two things, what they're saying is that if you say you're, you're, you're saved by just works, well, you're, let you be cursed. But also, in, in, in Canon 9, where I just read the second one, if you hold a biblical gospel where, whereby you are saved by faith alone in Christ, let you be cursed. Right? And there are a lot of people, and I know even in my deputation, I went around and, and talked to different individuals who, who I have a lot of Catholic connections because I grew up that way, and we're asking them for support and fundraising and stuff like that. And they said, well, like, it's all the same. We all believe in Jesus and all this other stuff. And, and it's hard for me not to speak out to them and say, no, but you realize that your faith, your doctrine, the Catholic church that you believe in, when we hold a biblical gospel, the truth of the gospel, you're saying, let that person be cursed, right? And so this is what Paul is trying to def help the Galatians defend against, because a lot of them are still being, being falling, falling into peer pressure to a false gospel, to these perversions, these slight little things um, that are being said, you have to do this in addition to accepting Christ. And Paul is trying to say that Christ's grace is sufficient, right? Even though it's saying here, that they're deliberately coming against him. Paul is trying to remind him. And he puts himself in, in those shoes too. He says, uh, including me, if we preach anything other than the truth, right? Let that person be cursed. And he, and he repeats it. When you see that repeated emphasis, it means, usually it means it's pretty important. But this idea that Paul, Paul is, is, is firm, that we believe in one truth of the gospel. And for us, I think the lesson there is that we need to be equally as firm in our pursuit of Christ. Are you fully, do you fully believe everything that the gospel has to teach you about, the, about Jesus? Or are there things that you're like, well, I believe this, but I don't really know about this, or I don't like what, what, what Corinthians says about this, or what, you know, what Jude says about this. No, I think... In regards to the gospel, there is one message, there is one message of grace, there is one truth of the gospel. And we cannot waver from that. that. And that is what Paul is saying is so important here. And so lastly, in verse 10, where it says, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So again, this idea of him being Christ's servant, Christ's slave, he is sent out on behalf of, of the grace of God to go and do this work. But I think, honestly, that's, that's one of the biggest things that we ourselves need to hear this verse. We could have spent all night here just on this verse here in verse 10. And why? And some of you aren't going to like that I say this, but people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. You might even disagree with me on that one. And I'm willing to talk with you afterwards if, that, if that's the case. But I would say that people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. Look at what he says here. I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. And I think you could say the same thing about Christ, too. Right? Because if Christ wanted to come and please people, what he would have done had just been the Messiah that all the Jews thought he would be. A political one, um, 
you know, one that would just do all the things that they wanted to do. They didn't want the Messiah. They wanted a Messiah in their own image, right? And so my question here is, what are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about pleasing God or pleasing the person that's next to you? I know that's something even here tonight for me has been something that like I had to focus on and, and stop myself a lot um, the last few days just thinking about and praying about. And I called multiple different people um, just pouring out what was on my heart because this week again, I wasn't planning on, I wasn't supposed to be speaking here tonight. And then I'm also speaking on Sunday and Sunday morning. And, and for me, I, I really like to spend like all week on my messages and all week on this because there's, there's this little part of me inside of me that's like, if I don't spend enough adequate time preparing the truth of God's word, then I'm not doing my job, right? I'm not, I'm not prepared as well as I need to be, right? Because in a lot, for a lot of people, that's what you guys are here for, to hear the truth of God, right? And so in my, in my head, I'm like, well, I've got I've to be on top of my game because if I'm not on top of my game, well, then Taylor's not going to get what he needs this week, right? And I had to stop myself a lot these last few days, even today, and say, God, what, what do you want? What do you want me to say here? How do you want to speak through me? Because uh, I think a lot of times what we want to do is we just want to be right before each other instead of right before God. And if we live that way, I think that it's a shame. I, I even think of the idea of like Philippians 4.13, um, and, and saying, you know, for I can, do, uh, I can do all through Christ who strengthens me, but then you don't actually want to do the things that God has called you to. You're willing to, to put that in your, your Twitter bio or your whatever, right? But then you're not willing to do what God has called you to. And so my question there is, is pleasing people something that gets in the way of you fulfilling the call that God has called you to. And whether that's as a disciple maker, uh, whether that's as a, uh, someone who's good at hospitality or having different conversations with people, is the fear of what others gonna th are going to think of you stopping you from living out the call that Christ has, has placed on your heart. Right? And I would challenge you guys, all of you guys, to spend some time this week in praying about those things. Because... I joke about it a lot, but to be completely honest, it, it changed my entire life, and it's a lot of why I'm standing here right now, is that Jack told, told us a lot, at least I guess it was our sophomore year, or freshman year, that the number one reason you're here on this campus is not to get your degree. Your number one reason for being here is to grow closer to God and to, to bring Christ to this campus and to this city. Right. And me being not a school-oriented person, I took that as far as I could take it. Um, <laughs> but when I stopped trying to just go through this false illusion of, of whether it was school or whether it was playing softball or disc golf or all this other stuff, if, when I stopped trying to do stuff because I wanted friends or do stuff because I thought that you know, so-and-so would think I was cool, it changed my life. It was because... I, I sat at the feet of Jesus and I let him change me from the inside out, right? And I think if we're obedient to that calling, 
to Christ, then we can learn and we'll get driven more and more deeper into the love of Christ instead of just being a lukewarm follower of Jesus, someone who just says, I believe, right? And so as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. Um, but the last thing I, I want to kind of reiterate and, and, um, and uh, challenge you guys with is a question. But first, I want to share this verse out of Ephesians 4, 14, where it says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We'll be tossed and blown away. We won't be tossed and blown away by every wind uh, of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does in the special work. It helps us grow, uh, other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. But this idea that we're growing more and more like Christ, right? Are you growing more and more like Christ? With your understanding of the gospel, are you becoming more like him? Are you owning it more? Are you being more firmly rooted and grounded in the, the gospel of grace and peace? Or are there parts of you that have bought in to a counterfeit gospel? These imperfections, these things that have the ability to really undermine your ability to be a disciple of Christ. So my challenge for you is to reflect on those things this week do you own your faith? When someone asks you, when people put, put, push your back against the wall, when standing up for, for Jesus is not cool, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to share it with people who don't know? Let me pray. Father, we just come to you tonight, and God, there's so many excuses and so many reasons why we can't share. God, that we won't open our Bible. God, I pray that you would convict us of those things. God, that you would, you would help us to fall at your feet. God, to be renewed. God, to be pushed further into the love that you have for us. God, through our following of you, let our lives be changed from the inside out because of what you've done for us. God, help us to be sent out not because people want us to be sent out. God, not because I've said to do it or not because their pastor from home has said to do it. God, I pray that you would, you would send them out and God, that their only aim would be and our only aim would be to please you. God, to bring glory to your name God, we're so thankful for your son. God, for the sacrifice that he made, living the perfect life that we couldn't. God, and, and giving us the ability and the chance for us to follow after him. God, I pray that we are shaped more and more in the image of Christ. God, that we would continue to grow and understand more the riches of his grace. Father, we love you and we thank you so much. It's in your holy and precious name I pray, amen.